this is Jude Knoll, and you're listening to the Norse Up Podcast, a production for NKU by NKU to highlight the expertise of our university's faculty and staff. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Clayton Castle. At the end of this month, from September 29 to October 1st, NKU is celebrating the 50th anniversary of its inaugural graduating class, whose commencement took place in May 1973. We've invited university archivist Lois Hamill onto the podcast to paint us a picture of what life might have looked like on campus around that time. Lois Hamill has managed Steely Library's special collections and archives since 2007 and was promoted from assistant professor to professor in 2018. Professor Hamill, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. So leading up to the first graduating class, NKU grew out of an extension of the University of Kentucky. When did the region begin to campaign for its own university, and how did these initial proposals come to fruition? Well, people in the area, Clayton, were able to take some classes from the University of Kentucky, or UK as we know it, in Covington, but uh, I don't think that they were able to take enough classes to do their whole degree. I think it was more like their first and second year. Um, need grew, as was demonstrated by the increased enrollment, and so UK eventually opened their own facility in Devu Park in Covington. This started out as a single building, which as uh, they needed more room, they uh, got trailers and kind of surrounded that original building. Uh, by this time, uh, by the time that facility had been constructed, uh, it was called the Northern Center, the University of Kentucky had already created four more extension centers. In 1961, the state uh, did a study and recommended that, the, that Kentucky develop a, a community college system. And this was part of a, um, a movement on the national level in education that was happening. In 1962, the Kentucky legislature approved the creation of a community college system, and UK was tasked with developing that system and managing it. So the first step uh, was to convert the existing extension centers, and UK chose the Northern Center uh, to be their first one. So the Northern Center became the UK Northern Community College starting in the fall of 64. So while the UK NCC partially met the community's educational needs, it was only awarding associate degrees. In 1966, the Kentucky Council on Public Higher Education, which we now call the Council on Post-Secondary Education, CPE, recommended creation of one more state college to be located in Northern Kentucky. And this was based on our population growing and, and relative to the rest of the state. It was the second largest metropolitan region, but it didn't have a public college. The potential students were tied to this area by jobs and families, and they wanted to attend college locally. So the community began asking for college by the mid-1960s. There were petition drives and things like this. In 1967, Louis B. Nunn is elected the first Republican governor in 20 years. In exchange for support by voters and local politicians, he advocated to establish Northern Kentucky State College and, in fact, winds up signing the legislation on March 14th of 1968. And the archives has one of the pens that he used oh, to wow. sign the legislation, which is kind of cool. It looks very typical government, a black pen, <laughs> that type of thing. Not, not very expensive. So 
from what I could read, Campbell, Boone, and Kenton County were all vying for the university's new campus, which ended up opening in 1972. Why did NKU end up in Campbell County? Um, I'm not sure if I can entirely answer your question, but it's understandable that all three counties would um, be competing to be the home of the new college. They were going to bring in jobs, revenue, taxes for the local community that it was situated in. Um, but as we might know, uh, also traffic and parking headaches. And if you look at early photos of the Highland Heights campus, um, parking was a, a problem right from the beginning. So uh, I know they needed a large open piece of land to build with room to grow. You know, they're, they're thinking ahead that they may expand. They wanted to be near population centers for pop, uh, potential students. And they also needed roads for easy access. Apparently, Highland Heights uh, provided just the right combination of these factors and, in fact, um, was selected. And Northern Kentucky State College offered its first classes at the old site that UK owned. Um, their buildings were transferred to us in the fall of 1970, and two years later, we were here in Highland Heights. So the new campus was constructed with a... Uh... We'll go with distinct, <laughs> brutalist uh, architectural style, still the dominant aesthetic today, although that is changing with some of the newer buildings like the Health Innovation Center and Griffin Hall. Um, what buildings were on campus at that time, and what was the reaction to it visually? I think this is a really interesting question and very exciting to study photos from that time period, particularly um, aerials. So our campus, as you uh, said, was built in the brutalist architectural style, and apparently this started right after World War II in Great Britain, uh, coming to the U.S. in the 1960s. Uh, NKU has never had abundant funding, even from the beginning, and cement is one of the cheapest building materials. Brutalism made the campus affordable. Nunn Hall was the first building built on the campus as far as new construction. So remember, what they've done is they have purchased uh, 328 acres of family farms and homes that were in this area. So it wasn't like it was uh, a subdivision with houses all close together, but um, you know, there, was, there were some homes here, there were some farms, there was a fair amount of open space. Um, the pond that we know today is Loch Norse was there, that was a farm pond. So um, those types of buildings were here, but none was the first intentionally constructed for uh, the campus use. And they had groundbreaking in March of 71 uh, for none. And then Regents Hall was the second one. And the groundbreaking was in fall of 71. And both of those buildings were in use by the fall of 72, if you can believe it. This is amazingly fast. Uh, one of the many of the homes, actually, that were originally here are still in use. If you think about the properties on Johns Hill. And um, in fact, if you know where the new campus police station is, mm -hmm. Uh, that was a private residence originally, and then it was purchased for the presidents to live in. They only briefly lived there, and then it became the Honors House, and now it's uh, the new police station. But that was a private residence as well. Uh, the Northerner and the Polaris, which was the yearbook, were originally in a house. We have athletic fields that are sitting on the former um, Keene family farm, and they used to have the photography classes initially in the basement of that building and uh, theater sets were in their barn. And then they had trailers brought over from um, the UK site uh, in Covington 
and made like a U-shape and they had music and art and some of the other um, classes were in those trailers. The third building um, was originally called the Natural Science Center. Then it became Old Science after the Herman Science Center uh, was built. And then finally in 2006, it was named Founders Hall. That was built, uh, started in July of 72 and finished in the fall of 74. And then my building, Steely, was the fourth building um, to be constructed, and that started in 1973 and finished by the end of 75. So you had Founders, library, Steely Library, Fine Arts, and Landrum all under construction at the same time, um, but at different stages of uh, uh, construction and completion. And it's really amazing to look at some of those early aerials and see you know, oh, this building is next to this building and they've got this much done and this much done and um, so forth. I read a statement recently somewhere that said that for like the first 10 years, there was always construction somewhere. And as we mentioned earlier, NKU held its first commencement in the spring of 1973. What did the makeup of this graduating class look like? And were there any majors or fields of study that were particularly popular at the time? Um, do remember that basically there was only one college at the time when they got started. And so that would have looked a lot like the College of Arts and Sciences. And there were some programs like nursing that only um, had an associate's degree, not a bachelor's degree when they finished. There were a limited number of academic disciplines, um, biology, business, public administration, education. I mean, those are some areas that we're known for, uh, fine arts. Uh, humanities, which they meant uh, to include English, foreign languages, and journalism. Journalism has been one of our early uh, strengths and majors. They had chemistry, physics, and geology, nursing, uh, political science, psychology, history, geography, and philosophy, and sociology and anthropology. That's only about, I don't know, 15 disciplines. So um, there weren't there weren't a lot. Can, we, can you talk a little bit about what that first commencement ceremony looked like um, in terms of the location and, you know, kind of what went into that commencement day? The, uh, yeah, I'd like to. I think that was pretty interesting. So um, the first commencement was held on a Sunday afternoon, May 13th, 1973, at 3 o'clock in Regents Hall. So that was our only big, large space where we could gather together. The Simon Kenton High School Band played Pomp and Circumstance and a number of other pieces. And the um, NKSC Concert Choir and Chamber Singers performed. The first Board of Regents was present, including uh, David Garnett, who was a student regent. So you already had a student regent serving um, by that, um, that early date. You had the judge executives for uh, Campbell, Kenton, and Boone, local dignitaries, state legislators, and people like that. Um, the commencement address was given by an invited uh, dignitary. And then 598 students received their degrees. 26 of them had both an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree because they had finished the associate's degree before the first commencement ceremony was even held. They had finished that in 71. You had um, 186 degrees were Bachelor of Arts, 170 degrees were Bachelor of Science, 138 Associates in Applied Science. There were 65 law degrees 
and 39 associates in arts, just to give you a sense of, of what the majors were and what they were favoring. Um, you may have heard the name Eric Consul, who was the conductor at the time for the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. He was given one of the first honorary degrees, and then there were three other individuals in uh, other disciplines. And the very first two student awards were given already at that ceremony, the Bill Byron English Award and the Paul J. Sipes Award. I believe both are still given today. The ceremony then concluded and there was a reception in the student lounge uh, at Nunn Hall for the graduates and their families. Um, they had events spread um, before that over a couple of days. So for example, there was a spring cotillion on Friday night um, before this, you know, the Friday before the commencement. And it was at the Beverly Hills Supper Club um, just down the road in Southgate. So that gives you a, a little bit of an idea. They tried to really make it a, a proper commencement, even though uh, it was uh, the very first ceremony. At this time, you know, in 1972, 1973, what sort of sports and organizations were there on campus? And what, what else would students do outside of class for fun? According to what they're describing in the college catalog, there were a number of activities for the students, uh, even in those first years. Student government started up right away, the student newspaper, the student yearbook. There was a literary magazine. They had uh, debate and speech contests. As I mentioned at the first commencement, they had uh, several choral groups. Uh, the college had uh, radio and television programs that they sponsored. Um, and that was an area also, I think, tying in with the journalism that was um, early on, the university was looking at what did employers in the area want. And they actually sat down and met with um, representatives from some of those fields to say, well, what, would she, what should we put in our programs? Um, uh, they also started uh, Greek societies. By 72-73, we had the first four Greek societies, including uh, a sorority and three fraternities. And they were having intramural, interscholastic, and intercollegiate uh, sports. They had a chess and photography club. They tried to have uh, regular programming on Friday night for the students so they'd have something to do. Sports teams started with um, men's basketball, baseball, golf, and tennis in 71-72, and then they added cross-country the next year. For the ladies, they were a little bit um, farther behind than that. Uh, they started the slow-pitch softball in 71-72, but um, basketball and tennis were not added until 74-75, and uh, Marilyn Moore, the women's basketball coach, also started coaching volleyball in 75-76. Um, important to say, I, I would like to mention Jane Meyer, who started coaching women's softball and volleyball in 78-79, and only 10 years later was appointed the first female athletic director at a public university in Kentucky. So those are some of the, um, the activities and um, sports. The men's basketball game, the, actually the, the first men's basketball game was on November 12th of 1971 in the Newport High School gym, the old gym, the building apparently is gone now, and they um, played against Calvary College, which also is gone, it's closed apparently. But they won, so <laughs> they, they won right off the bat. Winning tradition started early. Yeah, that's all that yes, matters. so it, 
again, thinking that they're only with, you know, maybe two buildings. There weren't a lot of places to go necessarily. Uh, we see a lot of photos where they're outside in the good weather, hanging out, playing Frisbee, listening to music, studying and things like that. Um, yeah, those types of things. Eventually, as the campus grew, they got lounges and dining areas and libraries that were spaces that they could relax in and that type of thing. And um, you mentioned this before the episode as something you wanted to mention, but um, at, at the event, which is September 29th, October 1st, the 50th anniversary event, um, University Archives will be providing different items for display. Could you tell us a little bit about what these items are? Uh, we've shared a lot of uh, photographs with uh, the folks that are um, organizing the celebration. So I understand that there will be photographs on display. Uh, I think there may be some yearbooks, but uh, we have a cap and gown from one of the graduates from the first class, from the class of 60, uh, from 73. So Michael Berry's cap and gown will be there. And also uh, Jane Meyer's uh, husband, Steve Meyer, played basketball. And we have one of the early jerseys. So those will be on display also. I love Steve Meyer. He was, uh, he was I believe, assistant uh, dean of students when I was a student here. Um, and he was an advisor on student government when I was on student government. He's a great guy. The Such a um, historic achievement that Jane Meyer achieved. You know, you talked a lot about the uh, becoming the first uh, female athletic director in, in Kentucky at a public institution. Uh, that, you know, that stood, she was an athletic director, I think, for over, what, 20? Over about 21 years. 21 years. Yes. Um, I think that's the longest tenured athletic director so far in NKU's history. That sounds correct, yes. Um, so, you know, um, just a lot of good information and good history. Uh, Lois, thank you for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. This has been Lois Hamill, University Archivist here at Northern Kentucky University. This has been another episode of the North Sup Podcast. As always, like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If we're not there, let us know and we'll get on there. Be sure to follow the podcast on NKU social media accounts at NKUEDU on X, formerly known as Twitter, and on Facebook at Northern Kentucky University. That'll do it for us. We will be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. Until then, Norse up. Norse up.